Well, hello there, and thanks for tuning in to HC Conversations, a podcast where we have discussions around faith, life, politics, and more, and how to navigate those things as a follower of Jesus. You'll also find audio from weekly messages at Hope Community. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Let's jump in. Okay, we're back. Yep, and you know who else is back? I don't know. The chicks. The chicks, not the Dixie chicks, just the chicks. They're just the chicks now, but they're back. They're back. Making music again. Beautiful three-part harmony. <laughs> Actually, you know, it sounds like country music should sound like. Are you saying country music now doesn't sound like what country music? No, sound it like doesn't. All? Yeah. Actually, enjoy like the sound of the Dixie Chicks. Yeah. It's I don't know. It's maybe an unpopular opinion, but I think, and this also may just be when I was raised. But country music's peak was in the '80s and '90s. Like that was the best country. I think so. Of course, you, you just in general, I think that was the best of like every genre. You had, <laughs> uh, you know, the Judd. You had uh, Reba. Reba. You had oh. Dolly. Oh. Which, by the way, Dolly's just like doing all these collabs with people. I know. Like all these musicians. Like how does one get to the point in the life where they're just doing like collabs with Dolly? I don't know. She was on like, like a couple of like Christian I know. songs. Like uh, she did one with King and Country. I think. Yeah. yeah. And there's another one uh, I just heard on Spotify the other day. Oh, there you go. How does how does that even happen? I don't know. Okay. All right, we, we we better get into it. Uh, we don't have much of an agenda today. Um, speak for yourself. Speak for some. <laughs> we have a couple of things to talk about. This is going to be kind of another grab bag episode. We keep having the intent to get back into saying, okay, we got one topic for our discussion, and we're going to talk about that. And we have things on the list that we want to research and talk about. But so much crazy stuff keeps happening in our world, and it's in the news and everything else. Like. Okay, we got to talk about this. So we've got another episode this week that's just a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. It's a buffet. Right. It's a buffet or a buffet. Warren Buffett. Warren Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> there you go. It's a buffet. I've not been to a buffet in a long time. Are buffets going to even be a thing anymore? I have no idea. I don't know. It's kind of. I uh, would think not. I would think not as well, but hey. Time it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I see people joking about like the plexiglass guards in front of like cashiers and stuff now. Um, and it's like, well, you're still handing me all this stuff and there's a big gap at the bottom and all this other, it's kind of the same thing as like the guards, uh, the, the over sneeze bu- guards, over buffets <laughs> lines. It's like, <laughs> you're still shoving your hand like right under there. And it's just, but anyway, whatever. Right. <laughs> it's just funny. We're not talking about buffets today. Um, but we are going to talk about our agenda. We are going to talk about our, our agenda. Cause do we have a liberal agenda? What, what people think our agenda is. That, yes. You know, we've been accused of being perhaps too liberal. Um, whatever liberal that means, that nobody's ever really defined what they perceive as liberal. And it's not even necessarily that we've been accused of being liberal out loud, although there have been some some rumblings um, mm-hmm. from a few different different people uh, yeah. or things that have been said or questions that have been asked. But it's like when you start poking the bear <laughs> of some of the things that we've been talking about that undermine maybe this this picture of Christianity that's been so tied to the religious right, right. and conservative politics. It's like, well, if you're calling into question that, that must mean that you're on the other side. So you're just right. a bunch of liberals now, um, which is just funny because it's like, no, no, we're really it's not. not at all the case. Um, definitely wouldn't consider myself a li- liberal either politically or theologically in terms of theology, very much an orthodox believer. So orthodox meaning, you know, believing what Christians have believed for thousands of of years, you know, that has been passed on from generation to generation. Right. Um, I think that's important too, especially in America 
we've we've so tied faith and politics together that like right. it's like well liberal what is that it's like well there's there's theologically you know liberal versus politically liberal and they're two very different things right but people automatically assume that if you don't agree with them then you're both you're both, you're both theologically right. and politically liberal yeah um, to which I would say, no, I'm not either. I'm not either. Don't put me in that camp. <laughs> yeah, I, we would both consider ourselves very orthodox as far as Christian belief. Right. So I mean, I, I appreciate and I value so much uh, of church tradition, um, whereas I think a lot of people that would fall in the religious right or the evangelical camp um, discounts a lot of church tradition. We don't need that. And I would say very much that, that we do need that and that even if that perspective is actually the liberal perspective yeah. and not and a even more if we conservative don't, like, theological need it in practice. Like we may not like, you know, at our church, we don't practice like some of the more, uh, you know, like the church traditions every once in a while we'll pull in something like that, but mm-hmm. you at least need it to be informed. Right? right. Like it's very arrogant to think, well, us as Christians in 2020, we don't, we don't need to look at the example of any of the 2,000 years of Jesus followers that came no, before us. No, we don't need to <laughs> you know, look at what Irenaeus all we, all or we Augustine is, here, said. Here's the line. All we need is the Bible. Right. Um, no book but Bible, no creed but Christ. Yeah. That's all uh, we need. So, yeah, we're very orthodox, meaning we've, we hold to what the church has taught for, for 2,000 years, you know, the, the core tenets of the faith, that you find things like in the Apostles' Creed, that, you know, that you see the triune nature of God, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that, you know, Jesus was, became, became, God became flesh, and he, he lived among us, he, he died for sins, he was risen from the dead, he was seen by many, you know, miracles, all of those things were like, yes, 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 we, we agree <laughs> with all of that. Um, so I, I would say more of what we are doing is we're casting off the liberalism of conservative Christianity <laughs> in America and getting back to a more orthodox Christian faith Yes, that is more in line with what the church fathers believed and what those around the time of the life of Jesus would have practiced and believed um, as we seek to understand you know, the historical cultural context of scripture and how that informs our faith today. And and I would say this is that it's because we are theologically orthodox that makes it so I'm theologically orthodox. So I am not politically liberal, right? But I'm theologically orthodox. So I'm also not politically conservative either. Right. Like I, I don't fit in any camp because you look at, both ends of the spectrum and everything in between as far as liberal and conservative and whatever, there are bits and pieces of, of both sides that I would say, yes, that lines up with scripture and the way of Jesus. And there are other parts that go absolutely not. That does mm-hmm. not line up. Um, and I think the, the danger and the mistake that we've made in, um, in America is we've tied Christian faith so closely to politics and it's just like a package deal. Right. Um, and the one that we encounter most often, and the reason we keep talking about it is because it's the one that seems most prevalent, is that if you're a follower of Jesus or you're a Christian, then that means that you are a conservative, you know, Republican politically right. as well. And that's just a dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. Because when you tie the two together, then you, it's, there's, again, there's just thing, there's things about conservative politics that do not line up with right. With God's kingdom. I read an article that somebody shared on Facebook this week uh, that appeared in the Atlantic talking about how uh, the election and presidency of Donald Trump has just sped up the uh, the postmodern, uh, I guess, sentiments in the United States. Because before that, yeah, it was happening, but 
since Donald Trump has been elected and the religious right has garnered their full support behind him, um, how damaging that's been to the faith and how mm-hmm. many, many people want nothing to do with Christianity because of that. Yeah, because, again, they tie it all together. If right. that's what Christianity is, I don't want it. Right, and, and if you're listening and you're one of those people, I would say um, it's okay to reject that, um, but don't reject Christ altogether um, because those things most of them have nothing to do with the teachings of Jesus. Right. Yeah. So. I mean, it, yeah, it's just crazy. And, and there's, like I said, there's things on both sides that, and this is, this is what I won't say gets us into trouble, but makes people like raise their eyes and be like, what do you mean? How is that even, how can you, how can you say that? Like, cause I like, I, I know people would say you have to vote this way if you are a Christian. Right. It's like, well, again, it's my theological orthodoxy. I look at the life of Jesus and what he's done and how he values all people and, and the things that he taught and what the early church practice is like, that would, I'm like strongly committed to racial reconciliation and recognizing we have a race issue in this country. And it's more than just, it's more than just sin in my personal life. That's right. a very individualistic way of seeing things. That's a, an American thing. But again, in the context of the church throughout history, in the biblical picture, is no sin can be communal and collective. And like, so race is one of those issues. In fact, Jesus said that he came to get rid of sin, collective sin, not, not individual just individual sin. personal sin. And so yeah. like people be like, well, that makes you like, you, you know, you're just politically, you know, you're politically liberal. Same thing on like uh, issues of immigration. It's like, okay, when it comes to immigration and refugees and all these things, like I, I think we, there needs to be major reform and not just, you know, keep them all out because they're all terrible. And what, what drives me to that? It's my faith in Jesus. And mm-hmm. so on that side of things, it's like, well, you must be liberal. I'm like, no, I'm really not. It's, it's my faith in Christ and theological orthodoxy that says, here's why I see these issues this way. And on the flip side, um, there would be something like, uh, well, it's what people call pro-life on the right, but a lot of times we just mean pro-unborn baby. Um, but like, I would be a very much pro-life across the board right. um, in, in that regard, because again, it's my theological orthodoxy of seeing every single person is made in the image of God. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where you land when you're listening to this, and if you've already formed thoughts in your mind about uh, who we are, or what we believe, or what party we line up with, or who we vote for. I think my goal would be is for you to never be able to tell where my like who I would vote for. That's a good place to be. Like, I, I want people to look at, at me and just be confused. Like, who did you vote for? I'm like, I know you can't figure it out, can you? Because I, I, f- I feel like that's where followers of Jesus should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of immigration, you just mentioned. I did. Um, there was a, a new study that came out this week uh, in Relevant Magazine um, by World Relief and Open Doors, which are parachurch organizations. Yes, like legit, like World Relief has been around since World War II. And right. It's like the biggest Christian organization for support, like support and relief around the world, refugees. Refugee efforts yeah. and immigration. Um, so this new study uh, came out this week that found that... Um, Trump's policies against refugees has um, just been very detrimental to persecuted Christians being able to resettle in yeah. the United States. Um, it, you know, I could go on and just read some of the stats, but it was just, I guess, just a, a good like data-driven approach and not Link a it political. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a good political. So it wasn't like trying to bash Trump like politically, but it's just like, no, here's w- like what the data says. The policies have, um, you know, 
have done to, to these Christian groups, and it's calling Christians to actually care about mm-hmm. brothers and sisters who are being persecuted in other countries and not being allowed not being to resettle to, in the United States. Right. Just in general, um, I mean, those, those are Christians specifically that haven't been able to resettle, right. but like the United States refugee resettlement numbers during the Trump administration has been lower than like any point in U.S. history. Um, and again, we say those things, and there's a certain crowd that's automatically like, well, you must be a bunch of liberals. It's like, nope. Right. The, again, theologically orthodox, looking at the way of Jesus, saying, this doesn't mesh with my faith. Right. So. I mean, there's at least 40 passages throughout the, the, the Bible that talk about immigrants and refugees and loving them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, think, I don't think we can ignore, ignore that. No. Uh, so it was just... It wasn't surprising then to see comments on this article of people saying, you know, I thought that, you know, Relevant Magazine, that this was an unbiased, you know, source because they <laughs> were like, saying. This is the raw data. This no, is so the this, numbers. This is just what biased. the data says. It's not, they're not trying to bash Trump. They're just saying, okay, here's what our research is telling us. These policies have been bad for immigrants. Yes. Um, so I think. And like to go on the other side then, because people will say, well, you just must. Uh, you, so you must be liberal. Like the the argument then is like, well, let me just show you all the bad things that President Obama did, right? Yeah. As if to say one side is bad means automatically that I wholeheartedly agree with, you know, the, like the other side or the previous administration. It's like no, like as as a follower of Jesus, we got to look at all of it and call things out. Says, okay, that was a bad policy. This is hurting people. You know, this does not line up with Jesus. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter who's in office or right. what party it is. And this, you know, we talked about this in the last series at church. We've talked about it on this podcast several times is we have created such an idol out of our political system and and political power in America, in the American church. Like Mm -hmm. just talking about Christians have made this idol of whatever political party. And like it is, it is in lockstep with Jesus. And I mean, the the thing, like the biblical thing to do in that case is we need to do this thing called repent, which means we need like, that is wrong, and I shouldn't be doing it. Um, so there was a ninety percent reduction in refugee in resettlement in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, ninety percent. That is insane. Yeah, it's insane. And and but then it's crazy because now this is going to just be a little bit more commentary on the United States of just like we we with pride kind of hold up this view of like we are just this you know, a shining nation on a hill. We're, we're a melting just, pot. We are this, you know, light of the world, this place of hope for peoples from all over. But we're going to reduce our refugee resettlement by 90%. Um, those two things don't go together. Nope. Nope. So. All right. So moving on. Yeah. Put a wrap on that. We are not we're, liberal. We're <laughs> Nor not. are we conservative. We are followers <laughs> of Jesus. <laughs> um, so I've seen recently, uh, and there hasn't been... Um, I guess a whole lot of data yet because it's so soon in the pandemic to be able to have a good research study and have Mm -hmm. those numbers. But just um, through observation, I have just been hearing about a lot of leaders committing suicide um, during this pandemic time. And I think a lot of these leaders in political offices, uh, public office, I should say, um, just the pressure that they're feeling to make hard decisions that are extremely unpopular is just, it's sad to think that people's rants on Facebook may be responsible for these leaders feeling like they're inadequate, that they can't make the right diso- like the right choice, and yeah. so there's only one choice that they can make. Um, and so for followers of Jesus, if you're listening, I would call you 
to stop trying to make a point on Facebook. Yeah. Stop it. You're doing nothing but hurting people. Because here's the thing. Have you ever stopped to consider that your need to make a point may have led somebody to take their own life? Your need to, to be perceived as being right or in what you th- in your mind what you think is right may be hurting somebody else and may have led them to take their own life. That is not the way of Jesus. Yeah. The way of Jesus exists in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You know, people think that they're trying to be loving and spreading what they think is, is a true narrative or the, you know, the facts. And even if it is, that doesn't make a difference. Yeah. All you do is make a point. Um, and that's not, again, in line with the kingdom of God. Uh, because that, that need to be right, that's self-love. And the yeah. way of Jesus demands daily self-sacrifice for the benefit of other people. Um, so, you know, Jesus said that anyone who would love their life for his sake will lose it for the sake of others. So for us to effectively love our neighbors as ourself during this time requires that we die to our desires and our need to be right or for others to perceive us as being right. Um, and to just remember that there is an actual physical person on the other side of that screen. Jesus requires that you consider that, that you consider that person, whatever their, you know, their, their Facebook name is, that they are made in his likeness and that they very well could be your brother or sister in Christ. You know, Jesus demands that we be unified in spite of our differences. His body, uh, the church is, is very diverse but yet Jesus calls us to be unified. It's a very beautiful thing. So I would just challenge you, number one, just stop it. Stop being trying to make a point and start making a difference. Um, stop trying to be right on Facebook um, or Twitter and start making a difference. Reach out to your, to your community leaders, to your school board members, to um, your elected officials and just say, hey, I might not agree with you, and the deci- but I know the decisions that you have to make are very tough and I support you in whatever decision that you make. Yeah. That's how we make a difference instead of make a point. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we consider whether again at a local level, if it's school officials or teachers or um, a village or city council or a mayor or a representatives or a governor or whatever at any level, the pressure that these people are under because mm-hmm. no matter what decision they make, they know that they're going to be like uh, ticking off at least half of people, right? right. Like, so there, it, it is an absolute no win situation. And so, yeah, like you can disagree, but then once a decision is made, be supportive instead of like just belittling people because they made a decision that, that you disagree with as if it was an easy decision for them right. to make. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, moving on. I yeah, guess. let's move on. Yeah. Um, I I just feel like we need to sit with that for a second though. Yeah. Um, so hit rewind. Hit rewind. Listen to that again. Listen to that again, and just let that sink in, yeah. that your your actions may have led to somebody committing suicide. Right. And 
I, I don't, there's not going to be hard data on this, but there has, I would say not once has anything ever changed because you posted something on Facebook. Right. Somebody did something you didn't like. There's a policy you don't like. You ranting about it on Facebook has never changed anything. It made you feel better. It made you feel justified. Like, ha I told them. But like you just said, it didn't make a difference at all. All it did was serve to tear down somebody who's made in the image of God. Yep. All right. So let's move on. Um, Phil. Yeah. Is church essential? Oh, geez. So that, <laughs> talk about a, just a complete 180 or whatever. Um, yeah. We, we don't. We don't smoothly transition. We just, we just... We give you whiplash. We just give you whiplash. <laughs> we just <laughs> jam it into gear, pop that clutch, and here we go. We're going on to the next thing. Um, is church essential? So, yeah, this was on my mind because a one of the largest churches in the country, um, North Point Community Church, came out last week and said, we are no longer gathering for the rest of the year. They've made the decision to not come back to their in-person ga- gathering, right? And the response from, I won't even say people, because honestly, it's just a response from, not from all Christians, but certain ones with a certain kind of perspective, was yeah. just nothing but all-out hatred mm-hmm. of like, you're caving to the left, um, you know, you've been you know brainwashed, you bought into whatever. It's all know. about the money. It's all about the money, which wait, they're not meeting, so how is that about the money? I don't know. And just, now, overwhelmingly, the support of people that, which I think we should be more concerned about, the outside world that's looking on was nothing but applause. Right. Like I saw so many people in response to their decision specifically that was like, we need more kind of leaders like this. We need like this. Thank you for loving your community and on and on. And so the question then is like, is church essential? Because again, there was a, a particularly angry group of Christians that were, you know, well, what about, you know, faith over fear, blah 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 it's like this wasn't a decision that was made out of fear or then like you know the bible says you should not forsake meeting together so here's what i would say to your question is is church essential yes church is an essential service to our communities church is an essential service to like just the fabric of our nation into the world really but a sunday morning service is not essential yeah because the church is not a sunday morning service no i don't know even how much detail we need to go in on that because I don't feel like you have a good argument for saying you have to gather corporately on a Sunday morning. No. <laughs> no. You you have no no nothing from the Bible to to stand on or then that Don't forsake meeting together. You you have that okay they gathered on the Lord's day which was Sunday. Sunday. Um but there there's no requirement that says that you have to meet on that day. Um, or what that gathering looks like. Right, their gatherings looked much different than our gatherings today. Most likely they looked more like what we would consider a small group. Right. Like they met in people's houses. They didn't meet in, you know, auditoriums that sat 2,000 people. Right. And many of them gathered almost every day, too. Yeah, they would get up like before before the sun rose, before they went to work for the day, right. and they would gather. They'd gather, they'd sing hymns, pray, and they'd go off to work, and then they'd come back together after work and do the same thing. Yeah. Um, so it... <laughs> There, there's an entire way of thinking um, in Christianity today that says that's what, like the, the church is the you know you gather on Sunday morning. Now I'm not saying the corporate Sunday morning gathering is not important, but what I would say is in this season, where the honestly the most loving thing we can do for a neighbor, especially at a church that's large. I mean you're talking about North Point made that decision. They're like 
seven campuses, thousands of people. The mm-hmm. best thing you can do is say, we love our community and our neighbors and our church, by the way, too much than to say, hey, let's let a couple of people who maybe are carriers of COVID mingle in with thousands of other people and see what happens. Like, Right. I mean, one of the things that Andy Stanley said in the different interviews that I heard this week, um, because he's just so brilliant at crafting these sticky little statements, is that we want to do something for our community instead of something to our community. Yeah. We don't want to be we don't want to be the you know the news story that comes out and says you know massive outbreak of COVID all these people sick so many people have died and it traced back to a church service right um, and so yeah the church is essential and, and you know if you, you can go maybe listen to some interviews from him talking about this but here's this idea like we're, we're still like they they were still they're ratcheting up like. Um, good works really in the community, serving with charities, giving money away, providing food. They're doing all those things, which is an act of the church. They still meet in small groups in people's homes. It's, right. you know, 10 or 12 people where it's a safer gathering. Um, some of them are meeting in small groups like on the church parking lot, you right. know, outside so they can stay spread out. Um, they're, he talked about them doing a baptism service where they were going to baptize several people and they were all allowed to bring, I think, up to like five friends or family and they'd all be spread out. And so... Church is still functioning. They're still gathering. They're still worshiping. They're still serving. They're still loving. They're still praying. But they're not getting together for an hour on Sunday morning. Um, and, and so there's just this idea that's like, well, that's what church is. You have to get, like, no, no, that's never, like, that's never what church was intended to be. No. So, church is the gathered people of God wherever they are. Yeah. And, and so gathered could be two or three or four people, you know what I mean? Right. I, I think part of that is because we've... S- Thank you, Germans, because <laughs> my heritage is, is German, so, yeah. you know, my people. Um, but we have so t- closely tied Christianity with a building. Yeah. The church is the building. Mm-hmm. I mean, we mistranslated that that word to mean building instead of gathering or assembly, Yeah, um, which is actually what the biblical authors had in mind. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I, I, just, I think that's that's where a lot of this comes back to is like, well, you can't gather in the building, so you know you're you're not doing it right. Yeah, it's like no, it's never been about that. Or it's Which it's 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 kind of funny because whenever a lot of churches closed down, um, you saw all these memes <laughs> going all these around posts. Facebook that was the church has never been about the building, the but building, then as soon the as they people. could reopen, oh yeah, they went back and stopped doing anything or, like online mean, or anything. Really? Or even like us right now, we're still not open. Right. And when people ask, I, there have been times like no one has come out and said it, but you'll get, I'll get this look like, you're not back at church yet? Why are you not back at church right. yet? I'm like, really? Because a couple months ago, everyone was like, yeah, the church is the people, not the building. But now that we haven't come back, people are like, ooh, you heathens. I, I mean, again, our small groups are still gathering in people's yards. Yeah. Small um, groups are gathering. Our students are gathering. Our students gathering are gathering in, in outdoors, outdoors during the week. We're still like, you're getting teaching and stuff online. Like, the church is still gathering. We're just not gathering, gathering we're still on giving Sunday to things morning. in the community. We're, we're looking for ways to serve. We just don't get together for an hour on Sunday morning. Right. Um, it's just this crazy idea. It's like what we talked about a couple weeks ago with not being able to, quote, worship. It's like, okay, worship is not singing out loud in a corporate setting. That's one way we can worship, mm-hmm. but worship is our lives. Right. There's such a bad view of God and theology and faith in this country specifically that we've, it, we, we just don't, it, we can't comprehend not meeting in a building. And the, the other argument of faith over fear um, is like, well, you're just afraid, you're afraid. I'm like, I don't know. What, what's more of a fear-driven thing versus a faith-driven thing? To say we have to go back to church and doing it the way it was before 
or to say we're not going to do it and we're going to trust that God's still going to work and move. Because mm. because Jesus said on the road to Caesarea Philippi, he says, look, I, I'm, I'm building my church, my gathering. I'm going to build it. The gates of, of Hades will not stand against it. I'm still doing that. So the question of, okay, hey, we can't meet in person. Do we trust, do we have the faith that he's still going to build his church? So like, don't throw the faith over fear argument at me. Because right. I think it takes a lot more faith to say we're going to, we're going to go against the grain and do something that that nobody else is doing, and it's a completely different way of doing church, and it might not work. And, right. And what if you know what if giving goes down, and what if you know people don't show up, and like well whatever. But I have faith that God's going to build His church. I right. don't have to run back to the old way of doing things to to think that God can only move through a physical building through an hour or two hour service on Sunday morning. Right. So the faith over fear argument goes out the window, right. and so does the well you have you know. You, uh, don't give up, don't forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There's that verse from Hebrews. It's like, both of those arguments are out the window because it's like, no, we still have faith that God's going to work. And two, we're still gathering. It's just not in a massive group of people because love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. Boom. Mic drop. And, and people always want to throw out the, the, um, you know, the scripture out of context as well. You know, where two or three are gathered, I am there. And, <laughs> um you know, yeah. sounds like a small group to me. Huh? Yeah, agreed. <laughs> you don't have to be in a big, a big gathered. Um, yeah, big, big gathered thing. Well, and, and honestly, we're gonna get political again. Uh, the president did not help church leaders at all. Like a month ago, when he was like, basically demanded that churches start meeting again, that they are essential. Because I'm like, yeah, that's been almost two months ago. Yeah, because now all of a sudden, again, we're talking about pressure that's on leaders and you're not going to make anybody happy. Like you're going to have people on both like different sides. You're going to make somebody mad as if like church leaders specifically weren't trying to navigate. How do we keep, how do we still feed, you know, our people and keep them growing and pursuing Jesus. But at the same time, how do we keep all our church safe? How do we keep our community safe? How do we love our communities as if that wasn't already all this weight and pressure. Mm -hmm. And then the president comes out and says, church is essential. And I'm, the governors have to let you start meeting together again. Like, Thanks. That was very helpful. <laughs> um, because again, now there's all this added pressure because now you have people on a certain side saying, hey, why aren't we coming back to church? The president said we could. And then you also just have the misunderstanding of church is essential. It's like, again, I agree. But the gathered Sunday morning experience is not all the church is. It is important. It's never going to go away. There's going to come a time where th we find this new normal and we come back to church, like the, that kind of physical gathering but that's not the be all end all mm -hmm. again look at tell that tell that to your brothers and sisters in iran iraq China. these persecuted yeah. churches that can't meet on sunday mornings where there's like a designated location in a basement somewhere are you, you gonna have to be secretive about sneaking to are you gonna tell them that they're not worshiping jesus I think their dedication to Jesus is way more uh, intense and deeper <laughs> than ours in America. Yeah. So. Yeah. Are you are you gonna, are you going to tell them faith over fear? Like, why are you sneaking around in a basement? You go out in public and like, no, like just no. Right. <laughs> so that's that's that topic. We got more. We have more. Yeah, COVID nineteen. Oh, we're still talking about COVID nineteen. We're still talking about COVID. Still around, folks. It's not going anywhere. Wear a mask. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I'm honestly at that point right now of just like, put a mask on. <laughs> Whether you think it, here's the thing. Like, 
first let's talk about it logically, whether you think it works or not. If it doesn't work and you wear it, okay, no harm, no foul. Yep. If it does work and you don't, and we could have prevented some of the spread of this and people dying, okay, that, that's... But Phil, it's not as bad as what you know the government's leading us to believe. One, I would say that's a conspiracy theory because okay we the, the world is bigger than just america look at what everybody else is dealing with and two even again even if it's not like there is no harm in saying you know what i'm going to be a little bit cautious and again from a christian perspective i'm going to love my neighbor what is the like what is the most loving thing that i can do like, how do i die to myself and, and serve other people right I think one of the biggest issues with this and that, that whole idea of it's not as bad as what, you know, the government's making you think and you don't need to wear a mask, you don't need to do these other things, is most people who say that, and I'm, I'm talking about our context specifically, where we live, is that I would say the vast majority, like, I don't even know, probably like 95% of people or something, have no personal experience with it. Mm-hmm. They don't know anybody. Maybe they know someone who's been sick with it, but like it didn't affect them that, you know what I mean? Cause there are a lot of people that it's like the symptoms are minor. Right. And so I don't know anybody who's gotten sick. I don't know anybody who's died. Our hospitals where we live around here are not overwhelmed. So therefore it's not bad. It's not bad. It must not be that way anywhere because we don't have, again, it's an issue. It's something on, on the news. It's something in my social media feed. It's not a person. They're not right. people. Again, we, we're so far separated from the event, and that happens with anything. anything. Whenever you're separated from uh, the actual issue or event, then you have the tendency to think, well, it's not that bad. This doesn't affect me, mm-hmm. uh, or this is an inconvenience to me right now right. is more than anything. But whenever you actually know somebody, whenever you get closer to the issue and break down that separation, that's when it the thing, the issue, or in this case, uh, COVID-19, becomes much more personal, much more real, and you have a different perspective. Yeah, it's not an issue anymore. It's a it's a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, this week, I'm, I'm scrolling through, and there's a, a pastor that I follow. His name's Derwin Gray. Um, he's a pastor in, I think, sh- the Charlotte area. Yeah. Big church there, um, Transformers church and apparently they've got a plant in spain right like the country spain (laughs) and one of their their pastors at that church plant he you know he posted he he posted asking for prayer because this guy is um he's been battling covid for a couple of months now and he's it doesn't look like he's going to make it he's probably going to die and he's a pastor of a church that's got a ton of people that care about him he's got children that care about him And, and so again not that i know this guy but this idea of I'm disconnected with it, so it's not real. Like, tell that to that church family. Or we talked last week um, about uh, Stuart Hall, pastor and speaker down in uh, Georgia, who almost died from this and the complications of it. But again, because I don't know anybody, and it's not, you know, it's not close to to me. I don't have any personal experience with it. It becomes a lot easier to write it off. Um, We're connected to a lot of people kind of, in the Atlanta area, just through um, conferences and ministry, church, our, you know, uh, coffee, our, our friends at Phoenix Roasters. And so I'm following a lot of people from that area on social media, and they'll be sharing things from people who are actually in the medical field, like doctors and nurses that are at hospitals down there, like, our ho- look, we are full. We have no beds. There, there, there are no beds. There are no rooms. Um, the one thing I saw was, like, 
uh, from um, a hospital down there. They, they have patients in the hallways of the ICU wing because there are no rooms um, that they sent. The, the one hospital sent had to send a COVID patient like 200 miles away that needed an ICU bed because that was the closest one of all the area hospitals. And so again, just because I don't have personal experience with it because I don't know anybody doesn't make it any less real. Mm -hmm. um, so whether you're talking about COVID, whether you're talking about racism, whether you're talking about anything else, those are the two hot button issues right now. It's so easy to write something off whenever I have no personal experience, right. whenever I don't know somebody. So I'm, I'm really tired of talking about COVID, but I feel like every week we got to say something about it because every week there's something else around. I don't even know. It's a conspiracy and you don't need to listen to it and you don't whatever. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you really can do whatever you want. But as a Christian, I don't know how can we do anything less than think of our neighbors first. Right. And okay. Putting a mask on is loving your neighbor as yourself. I don't think you can make an argument like for leaving one off as loving my neighbor. <laughs> Because usually leaving one off has nothing to do with loving my neighbor. It has everything to do with it's my freedom. It's my personal freedom. Mm -hmm. um, and again, there'll be sometimes arguments. Well, wearing a mask is bad because there's. I want to. I want to see the actual legitimate studies that say it's bad. Now, if you have some sort of a lung condition, absolutely it is. Like it can be. Right. But there are people that have been like again. We'll point back to the medical field. They wear masks all day, every day for the protection of the people that they're taking care of, and it's never been an issue for them. And if there is somebody who has like a breathing condition or a lung condition where wearing a mask isn't a possibility for them, that's all the more reason for those of us who don't have the conditions to wear the masks mm -hmm. because it protects them. Right. Again, that, I wish that was something that people would understand. The mask is not to protect you because they're like, you know, how, it doesn't seen, do anything. I've seen pictures of like drywall, like someone's doing drywall, they're sanding drywall, they take the mask off and you can see the dust that got in there. Like, now you tell me how that's going to stop a virus. Like, it's not supposed to stop a virus it's supposed to stop you from breathing and coughing and sneezing so it doesn't get past Be your face because you what happens if it. you're wearing a mask and you're breathing yeah the the little spaces in our cloth masks they they're not going to catch the virus yeah. but if we're breathing we're you know we have water vapor that comes out of our mouth that water vapor condenses and gets trapped in the fabric it gets moist moist air is able to hold those viral particles mm -hmm. and so less particles are being spewed out through the pores in the masks yes it's not about keeping you safe it's about keeping others safe i think right. honestly it's it's funny but one of the best examples is there's like a meme that's going around about hey if there's two people walking and both of you are naked and one of them pees you're going to get peed on <laughs> right it's like if you're wearing pants and they're not you're going to get a pretty wet still, but not as much. Now, if they're wearing pants, it stays with them. <laughs> and like, okay, that's what it is. So again, this is an act of, and, and anything we ever say, I feel like the only authority we have is to talk to followers of Jesus. Right. So if you are not, you can completely write this off. But if you are a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, how do I best love my neighbor? How do I do what's best for someone else? How do I care about somebody else who may be vulnerable, who may have, be immunocompromised, who may not be able to wear a mask because of some sort of condition that they have? The, the, the thing that I can do to love them and protect them is sacrifice a little bit of comfort of my own, a little inconvenience to myself, a little bit of my personal freedom, for them because personal freedom is not the highest calling for followers of Jesus. Yep. Like that is not like my personal liberty is not the greatest thing. In fact, I use my liberty and my freedom to the benefit of other people.
people. Mm-hmm. There's a funny tweet I saw today that it was something like, um, Americans are going to liberty themselves to death. <laughs> and it's like, that, that is like, that's where we're at. Like, it's right. just all about my freedom. It's like, ah. and again, we talked about this. It's why the U.S. has a lot more issues with dealing with things like this than other countries do. Because our highest ideal is the, my individual rights. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, I'm not saying individual freedom is bad. I'm just saying if you're a Christian, that's not really a good argument for you to make. Right. Because <laughs> I think Jesus has something to say about your individual rights. He <laughs> says you don't have any, okay? <laughs> you are mine. <laughs> you were bought with a price. You are not your own. Love other people. Yeah. And just wear a mask and wash it regularly. Yeah, that's okay. part of the thing, too. Like, they make you sick. I'm like, oh, you're supposed to, to wash those if they're like yeah, a like, usable uh, one. They recommend actually washing them daily um, or having multiples that you can wear because... They get stinky. Yeah. And yeah, they, they, if you're wearing the same mask for a week or two <laughs> weeks and you haven't washed it, yeah, that's that could ba- cause lung infection because think of all those things that are growing in there, okay? I've been trying to wash mine about once a week, but I only wear mine like whenever I go out. So if I go right. to the store for a few minutes or whatever, now versus people that like work in those places wearing them every day, it's like, yeah, you need to wash it more often. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I see that all the time. Well, they cause lung infections. Well, yeah, you dummy. You didn't <laughs> you watch, it. watch it. You gotta watch it. Like, ew. <laughs> all right, so I think that's enough on COVID for this week. Hopefully we won't talk about it anymore next week. But yeah. do you have anything else to add? I just, wanted, I just started thinking, well, the people that don't wash their masks are probably people that don't wash their underwear, too. Ew. <laughs> Paul, that's yucky. Paul's gross. On a regular basis. On a regular I basis. <laughs> what do you mean? I got to do it every day? <laughs> we need to change the subject really bad. Uh, what are we talking about now? What's left on our list uh, over there? So last, we're, we're going to uh, bring up another controversial subject that we have not talked about yet. Uh, we're going to start talking about uh, the taking down of, of monuments. Um, you know, that's become uh, a very uh, hot-button topic recently uh, in our country. Um, you know, Confederate monuments, and then just trying to figure out, okay, where do you draw the line? Do you also tear down monuments of Confederate soldiers? Do you tear down monuments of people that, you know, like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson that were also slave owners? Because is, you know, having those monuments around, is that endorsing, you know, the institution of slavery? And so... Um, yeah, we wanted to, to dive into that issue and really uh, come at it from a Christian perspective and try to, um, I guess, help you to, to perhaps think about it a little bit differently. Because on, on one hand, you hear people say, well, you know, this is our heritage. And, you know, if we get rid of this, then this is destroying history. Um, so you hear that argument made. <laughs> we, a couple weeks ago, we talked about, you know, this is just you know, trying to pave the way for, you know, a socialist state to, to come in. You know, this was what happened in Venezuela. They took down the monuments first, and then, boom, Chavez was there. Uh, <laughs> I remember that episode. Just, boom, Chavez. <laughs> um, so you hear these different arguments made, and, and I mean, it's, it's, it is understandable why, why some people be, get very, um, I guess, emotional about this issue because, yeah, we, we have a – we want to respect those people that did serve. We want to respect our history and not erase it because, I mean, those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it. Um, but at the same time, you have to weigh that with the benefits of, of leaving up some of these monuments and step into the shoes of somebody else 
uh, somebody of color that for them, these monuments represent something completely different. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, and this is a lost art, but with so many things, it's got to be nuanced. Like it's got to be hashed out. There's not like one sweeping thing where you can say they all need to stay up. They all need to come down. It's like, no, you've got to look at each individual case, individual case. You've got to have conversations. Um, and let's not pretend that this is just a, a modern thing happening. Monuments have been something that have been pulled down throughout history. Mm-hmm. So I was reading a Christianity Today article, and it's kind of funny. He opens by talking about um, at the beginning of the Revolutionary War, there was a statue of King George in New York that, like, the Sons of Liberty pulled down. And it was this big celebratory moment. Well, nobody's criticizing them for doing that. And so right. it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, I think a lot of the arguments don't hold a lot of weight as far as the arguments that people make for why you can't tear it down, like the whole, well, you're erasing history and, and whatever. Um, I think there's better ways to preserve history. Right. Um, you know, through books and museums and all those things, which is where we, we end up learning most of our history anyway. Um, versus a monument. A monument. I, mean, I, I, I gave the example earlier whenever we were talking about this. Um, how many people have ever heard of Alexander von Humboldt? I learned about him today for the first time. There's a sta- there, there are many statues of him. There's one that I've been to um, just right outside of Central Park, New York City, right across from the Museum of Natural History. I mean, there's a monument to him, so we should know about him, right? I, I, I mean, that, that's, that's the that's logic, argu- right? argument that's the that logic. gets made um, when, in fact, a lot of what we know about Alexander von Humboldt has come f- through history books. Um, there's a great book by uh, Andrea Wolf called The Invention of Nature. Um, I'd encourage you, if you're into science at all and nature, ecology, um, to check out that book. It's a, it's a great historical novel. So, But anyway, so the point was like, we don't know anything about him because of this monument. Um, there's other ways to learn history. Right. I'm gonna find this quote in the uh, CT article that was it was just pretty funny talking about like uh, history and, and monuments and stuff of uh, where are we learning our history from. Um, that was pretty funny. I got I'm scrolling, so I'm, I'm stalling right now in case you're wondering. Oh, here we go. It's kind of how we wrapped up the article. We said deciding not to give someone a place of symbolic honor with a monument is hardly the same thing as erasing history. And he says, if all you know about Lincoln comes from viewing a statue of him, you don't know very much about Lincoln anyway. (laughs) It's like, yeah, (laughs) libraries hold thousands of books on Washington, Lincoln, and other figures, he goes on to say, and that should not change. But what we're talking about with monuments is publicly celebrating historical figures. Mm -hmm. Um, in yeah. fact, that's what many of these Confederate monuments were meant to do. That's I think a lot of people miss that is right. they did not go up to honor um, people that fought necessarily in for the South in the Civil War, and they did not go up right after the Civil War. No. Most of the monuments, um, the Confederate monuments, went up at strategic times in response to things like civil rights. So at different times where uh, African Americans were pushing for rights. We're like, oh, we'll show you. We'll remind you of, of who we think you are. And so, again, there's a whole side. We talk about erasing our history. Most people don't know that part of right. our history. And, and part of that is because you have the, the legend or you might hear the myth of the lost cause, um, which is uh, this false history that has, was propagated by 
the Confederacy after they lost the Civil War uh, to try to downplay this, you know, their loss and their loss of identity, to try to, to soften the, the blow that that was to them. You know, they, they try to say, and you hear this all the time, that the Civil War wasn't about slavery, it was about states' rights. You know, the, the federal government was trying to take away state rights, but that ignores the declarations by South Carolina and the, the state of Mississippi that said it was about slavery. That ignores the fact that as soon as, you know, they had won the war, they were planning to reopen the slave trade to Africa yeah. And to start importing slaves back to the South. Right. As a, a um, new nation, we're still going to do slavery. So the, the lost cause has been very successful. Um, as I read down through the, the myth of the lost cause and the ideologies, I'm like, wow, I heard that. I've heard that in history textbooks. Mm-hmm. Um, but historians have accurate. I mean, this is well documented. This isn't just like some like little you know thing that there's just a few people saying, oh, the South is trying to, you know, misrepresent what actually happened and misrepresent slavery. I mean, people try to say that slavery was a good thing because they were trying to Christianize and civilize these, these Africans. Um, yeah. When like it, it clearly gosh, wasn't a, no. a good institution. Um, so number one, dive into the myth of the lost cause, but we're seeing that, that come back up right now and people trying to use the argument of heritage, uh, that this is part of our heritage. Yeah. And that, so we shouldn't, you know, erase first, this. <laughs> first of all, can, can <laughs> the heritage thing kind of bothers me a little bit because, okay, where we live, we don't live in the South. Mm-hmm. And I see people posting about this is our heritage. I'm like, you're, you're a northerner. This is not part of your heritage. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, you live in Ohio or wherever. I'm like, it's not, it's, I, I don't, I, that's one of the things. I don't really understand the fervor of why we have to keep these things. It could, well, I well, think it's uh, tapping into something deeper. Again, we're talking about some idols that we have. An identity. So an part identity. of the lost cause is just, you know, the southern way of, you know, of life and just, you know, hardworking. And so then there's northern people that are like, oh, yeah, like I'm hardworking, you know, I'm blue collar, backwoods. And so I d- identify with that. And that's that's one of the lies that came out of the lost cause. It's, 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 it's repackaged about because like, actually when you, you dig into it a little bit, you hear about like, you know, the Southern way of life and stuff. The way that originally got started was that was a nice way of painting like slavery and racial injustice. Right. Like just quaint little, you know, it's the, it's the Southern way. It was like that was a veiled way of of talking about racism from the time that slavery ended through the time of Jim Crow and, and segregation. It was like we just have our nice little Southern way. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's like it, it that it became like that was the main narrative, not the the racial issues. Right. Um, it, it's just I don't know. It, it's just interesting, you know. Again, talking about m- these monuments went up at specific times. Um, there was one in specific. Uh, this is from that CT article, and we'll link to that in the show notes. But uh, he says, remarkably, a bust honoring Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, which I'd never really heard of vaguely rings a bell, but I certainly didn't learn about him from a statue. If I want to know about him, I can go to a history book. Um, In Selma, Alabama, was not erected until the year 2000. In 2000, we put up uh, a bust of a Confederate general. It was stolen in 2012. It was replaced in 2015. Forrest was one of the early leaders of the Ku Klux Klan, and he oversaw the 1864 Fort Pillow Massacre of African-American troops in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And so... And he goes on to say, okay, removing like a monument like that should be a no-brainer, especially for, for Christians. But then he does go on to say that most monument removals, it requires a little bit more judgment. Unlike someone's like, okay, Forrest, he was a grand wizard in the KKK. He was just a 
overall a terrible dude, but he's like, well, what about the are monuments of Confederate soldiers that didn't own slaves, even though they fought for the South? So monuments like that, that are just like, it's a random soldier. I think you could maybe leave that up as like, hey, we fought, there was a war that was fought here, people died. But <laughs> monuments of like Confederate generals that were like vocal about hatred for African-Americans who like exemplified slavery and stuff. It's like, we don't need to celebrate that because a monument, it's like honoring that person, Mm -hmm. not teaching history. Right. Um, And and one of the reasons it's such a dilemma is really because of how closely tied some of this stuff has become to the Christian faith of we have idolized a version of Christianity that's this civil religion mm-hmm. uh, and not actually following Jesus. So. Right. Um, there's a great book that I highly recommend to everybody uh, that I read, actually I listened to this week. I don't have a whole lot of time with a one-year-old and a working full-time job in church, pastoring church, uh, to do a whole lot of reading. But uh, if you can read or listen to the book, it's called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Um, detailing the the history of racism in the church in America. Uh, It's very eye-opening, and uh, just I I highly recommend that book. Yeah, We'll link to that, too. Um, I want to give these just a couple of guidelines that were in this article, because I think on the other side, it's easy for us to... Maybe, maybe you're on the side wh- when it comes to monuments or anything uh, as it relates to racial reconciliation. You're just like, yeah, we need to do something about it. We need to take them down. We need to do these things. We can almost have an arrogance about that as well to think right. that we're like, we're, that we're we, right we can, we can look down on, um, on people in the past really easily. Like, look how terrible they were. Like, look how, you know, there's been a lot of conversation lately because so many of the founding fathers were slave owners. They're just like, they were horrible and we should get rid of all of them and not talk about them and not celebrate them. It's easy to, to look at the sins of people in the past and have a holier than thou attitude. Right. The guy who wrote this is a, is a history teacher. Um, and he says, if we remove historical statues, we should do it with as much humility as we can muster. Uh, this is where a Christian view on the matter is distinctive and helpful. If you assume that everyone is a sinner and that we ourselves are the chief of all sinners, there's less reason to revile people in the past or present for their failings. Like, recognize how broken we are. Um, he says, uh, acknowledging the failings of people in the past should not make us prideful, but it should chasten us about the risks of abusing power or becoming captive to the values of the time. I routinely remind my American history students that if they had been born into a white slave-owning family in 1776, it is virtually certain that they would have died as slaveholders too. Why would you or I have been the lone emancipationist among the vast majority of white Southerners who didn't support freedom for slaves? Everyone likes to think that they would have been the one to think outside their cultural box, but most people don't do so. Mm-hmm. I think we're captive to the time that we live in with so many issues of thinking, well, you know, if I lived then, I would have never. If I had lived in Nazi Germany, I never would have allowed that to happen. If I had lived in the, um, the slaveholding South, I would have said something. If I had been alive in the civil rights movement, I would have marched and used my voice. If I would ever throughout history, and the truth is, just be careful of that because we are very much a product of the culture that we live in. Yep. Like that's not to excuse what people did. Cause looking back, we can see, no, those things were definitely wrong, but we can get very prideful in thinking, Oh, look how terrible I'm so much better than them. Um, Cause honestly, there's gonna be things that we look back on 
in our generation, that future generations look back and go, I never would have. Like that, that was so horrible what they mm-hmm. did. Um, so right. I think it's just a good, good, you know, gut check, heart check, whatever, just to check our pride a little bit and say, when we, let's approach these things humbly, recognizing that we are full of all of our own faults, but that doesn't absolve us from the, the need to be able to, to love our neighbor as well. Um, I know I've been quoting this article a lot, but one more, and then I'm done on this topic. This is just the final guideline if we should be willing to ask why it is so important for us to keep a particular monument standing. Like, there, there, I, we talked about this a little bit before we started today. Like, I see Christians so vehemently defending and posting about, like, political issues or things of monuments or whatever. And I'm like, but I don't ever see you posting or living anything about the way of Jesus. Like, why is it so important that we defend these things? And he says, patriotism rightly understood is good and virtuous, but it cannot be a first order commitment for a Christian. Love of neighbor is a first order commitment. And if a neighbor finds a celebratory monument to be painful or offensive, that's a pretty compelling reason to consider removing it. It doesn't damage my faith if any particular historical symbol is taken down, even if I think that taking it down might be an overreaction. Yep. I don't know how every conversation we seem to have on this podcast ends up coming back to love your neighbor. <laughs> you want to know the, the, the thing to do, love your neighbor, follow Jesus. I think part of that is because far too many people have been uh, discipled by the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the religious right better than they have been by the words of Jesus. Yeah. And a disciple just simply means to follow. Yeah. So they following are following molded them. By it. First, being shaped by those things and then following Jesus second. Yeah. I mean, not to like, to be like legalistic or put a measurement on it, but just like practically we think about how much time do you spend consuming what's in your social media feed or how much time do you spend consuming whatever your news source of choice is for some of you. Like the only thing you'll watch is Fox News. For others of you, it's CNN or MSNBC. It doesn't matter. How much time do you spend being shaped by that? watching that, listening to that, consuming that versus how much time do you spend if you're, again, if you're a follower of Jesus in scripture or in prayer or in just, you know, silent contemplation, man, I can pretty much guarantee for almost everybody, the ratio is way out of whack in terms of, I spend a ton of time consuming what I see in my social media feed, on what's on Fox, on what's on CNN, on, you know, what's on whatever, you know, podcast that I'm listening to that already fits what I, I think. Like, yep. well, no wonder we get so, like, I get our politics and faith so twisted because we are being discipled by our politics and we want to hijack Jesus along for the ride. Yep. Don't do it. Nope. That's all we got. That's it. Follow Jesus. We said it again. I'm going to say we'll every keep saying single it. week. Um, pursue him. Spend some time this week in the Sermon on the Mount and just continue to pursue him and he's gonna if you do that he's gonna mess up your worldviews he is Mm -hmm. going to disturb you and honestly if if you're reading jesus and looking at his life and he's not disturbing you you're probably not really like reading jesus in the right Right. light like he comes to challenge everything that you like belief that you hold and viewpoint that you hold so have a great week thanks for listening to us once again 